Welcome to this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the story of Cain and Abel, and we'll be talking about these very strange genealogies that occur in Genesis 4 and 5. If you didn't catch last week's episode discussing the story of the first sin in Genesis 3, go ahead and give that a listen as well. We are in Genesis chapter four, chapters 4 and 5, if you're following along at home. Thanks for reading the Bible with us. It's so great to have you along with us on this journey through Scripture. Welcome again to the Bible Readers Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Hartley. I love teaching the Bible from a Catholic perspective, and I hope that you join us in this journey through Scripture. In last week's episode, we discussed the story of the fall of mankind. In the beginning, God creates the world in a state of original, essential goodness. All things are in harmony because God's relationship with man is intact. But in the fall, man turns away from God, disobeying the limitation that God has placed on man. If you remember, the reason for this first sin is that Adam and Eve want to be like God. And if you listen to last week's episode, you will recall that this is tragically ironic because Adam and Eve are made in the image of God and therefore they already are like God. But they want it in a new way, so they take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil immediately we see the consequences of this sin. Adam and Eve feel shame. They cover themselves. They hide from God. And then they reject God's offer of confession and repentance. Instead, choosing to blame each other and ultimately God. The ultimate consequence for sin is death. And Adam and Eve, though they do not die right away, they now will experience all of the processes of bringing forth and sustaining life to be shrouded by death. So, where does all this take us in our story? If you're like me, I have a few questions. One is, well, since Adam and Eve didn't just die immediately, how will this curse of death manifest in the world? How will we see the consequences of sin play out in the future generations of mankind? And we get a quick answer to those questions with the story of Cain and Abel. Let's read together in Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So, Adam and Eve give birth to two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain is a farmer, and Abel is a shepherd. They both prepare a sacrifice for God, and God accepts Abel's sacrifice, but rejects Cain's sacrifice. Now, there are a few interesting questions here that I don't really think the text offers much of an answer to. First, how did God show which offering he accepted? I don't know. I don't see any indication in the text of an answer to this question. If you can think of anything, please reach out to us on the website. 
The other more important question there is little answer to uh, is the question of why. Why does God accept Abel's offering but reject Cain's? There's possibly something here to the idea that uh, Abel's sacrifice involves bloodshed of the lamb. But as there are licit grain offerings listed later in the Torah, I don't think this offers a very complete answer. Instead, what the text leaves us with is the bare fact. God regards Abel's sacrifice well and Cain's sacrifice poorly. So here we see another failure on the part of man in the Bible. In some way, Cain has failed, but the real question is not why, it's more how will he respond? And we see another interesting litany of events take place. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. That last statement to me is ominous. Sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. That last statement to me is ominous. Sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. But what is Cain's actual response to all this? Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose against his brother Abel and killed him. Interestingly enough, we now have Cain playing the part of the deceiver. Whereas we saw the serpent as the deceiver in Genesis 3. Cain murders Abel after bringing him out into the field. Now, pay attention to what happens next and see if you can think of any parallels to what we read previously in Genesis 3. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength, and you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Again, God asks questions he should know the answer to since he's God. But again, he's giving man a chance for confession and repentance. And just like with Adam and Eve, Cain rejects this offer and instead of, and just like with Adam and Eve, Cain rejects this offer. And here, instead of blame, he merely lies. Also, he incurs a similar curse that Adam received. He is also banished, just like Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. What does this story show us? Well, the first thing is that the consequences of sin manifest immediately. It takes one generation for jealousy, hatred, and murder to play a part in the story of the human race. The other thing we see here is that the pattern of sin remains the same. While sin is crouching at the door, man opens the door for it. And then through lies and deceit seeks to outwit the consequences of that sin. But God is not deceived. 
The consequences of sin will not be thwarted through more sin. Instead, the only way to counteract the cycle of sin is through repentance, a path that no one has yet chosen in this story. The analogy that I like to use with my students is this. Have you ever taken a, a magnet, and it has to be a fairly strong magnet for this to work, but you take a magnet and attach a nail or a paper clips, paper clip, something else metallic to it. What happens to that nail or that paper clip? Well, it itself becomes magnetized, and you can attach another nail depending on how strong the original magnet is, and you can make a string of nails attached to this original magnet. Well, man is connected to God, the giver of life, just like that original nail to the magnet. And when that initial connection is severed, all subsequent connections also break. So since man's relationship with God is broken, man and woman will have a broken relationship. Man's relationship with others is broken. Indeed, we'll see later on that man's relationship with nature is broken. All of those things were contingent on man's relationship with God. But now that that is broken, everything else will start to break down. Now, let's talk about these genealogies that we read following the story of Cain and Abel. The genealogies are something that you might be tempted to just gloss over, like all they are is just, they're just difficult names to pronounce. And this is a principle that I try to stick to when I'm reading the Bible. It, the Bible's often strange, and where it is the most strange to me is usually a clue that there is more going on than what lies on the surface. So the author of the book of Genesis decided that these genealogies were important enough to include in the story, and he dedicated considerable word count to them. So what is actually going on here? Well, we learn about two different genealogies here. The line of Cain and the line of Adam and Eve's next son, Seth. Let's look at the line of Cain first. In Cain's genealogy, we read about six generations following Cain. In this line, we learn more about only two of the men mentioned. That's Enoch and Lamech. We learn that Cain names a city after his son, Enoch. And then we learn about Lamech, who seems to be this terrifying, violent man in what we briefly see about him. Look at what the text says about Lamech in Genesis 4. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Hearken to what I say. I have slain a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So first we see that Lamech is a bigamist, and then we learn that he is a murderer. But he brings his two wives to him, and he threatens them. It's like he's saying, don't, don't cross me, because I murdered a man over a mere insult. And you see how he's bringing his wives in to tell him do you know what I'm capable of? Can you see how the cycle of sin is extending on and on after Adam and Cain? Now, we can take a look at the line of Seth. 
And I wonder, as you were reading this, did you notice any differences here between the line of Seth and the line of Cain? Well, the first thing I see is that this line goes all the way back to Adam. Of course, Cain is also Adam's son, but the author is emphasizing that here, that Seth is the son of Adam. The other thing is that there is far more writing dedicated to this lineage. We learn about their ages, the ages each man was when he bore a son. We also, we also learn about two more characters here, Seth and Enoch, a different Enoch than the one in Cain's lineage. About Seth, we learn that it is during his time that people began to call on the name of the Lord. Another interesting thing about the line of Seth is that the name Seth in Hebrew literally means name. His name means name. And this corresponds to what we just said about Seth earlier, that at his time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Notice the difference here between Seth's line and Cain's line. Cain names a city after his own son. Seth calls upon the name of the Lord. It's Cain's lineage that wants to make a name for themselves. It's Seth's lineage that calls upon the name of the Lord. Here the author is bringing in the theme of the name. Who will carry on the family name of God? Well, it will be those that call upon the name of the Lord. Those are the ones who really seek to exhibit the identity of man that God gave him in the garden. That man is the son of God and is made in the image of God. The other character in Seth's line that we learn more about is, is another man named Enoch. Again, a different Enoch than in Cain's line. But this Enoch, we learn, walks with God, just as man did in the garden. And the text is a little cryptic about this, but it seems to say that Enoch does not actually die, but is assumed into heaven. What this exactly means is unclear, but it shows that as one branch of the family tree calls upon the name of the Lord, the Lord gives them the family name and blesses them in a special way that seems to undo some of the curse that was placed upon man. Enoch is also the seventh, not the sixth many member of the lineage here that is mentioned. Seven being the number of completion in the Bible, whereas Lamech is the sixth. You see, the author is intricately crafting these genealogies to tell a story. All of these things show that Seth's line carries on the blessing of God from the garden, while the story of Cain and Abel shows the immediate and devastating effects of the fall. All of these things show that Seth's line carries on the blessing of God from the garden. And while the story of Cain and Abel shows the immediate and devastating effects of the fall, there is still hope for mankind after it. So what does this all mean for us today? Well, first we can see the compounding effects of sin in the world. After the fall, the disharmony introduced in the garden is immediately made manifest. We see how God continually offers man an opportunity for confession and repentance, an opportunity that has been so far spurned by man. 
And we see that even though sin, death, and evil now are expanding upon the earth, God still honors those who worship him and continues to seek to have a relationship with man. I think those same principles apply to us now. Sin is crouching at the door. Master it. When we do sin, God wants us to accept his offer of forgiveness, but that can only be accepted through confession and repentance. And even in this story, it still looks ahead to the one who will fully undo the curse of the fall. If you're interested in learning more about this story, please visit our website at thebiblereaderspodcast.com. There's a wealth of resources there as well as show notes for you to access. Next week, we'll be discussing Genesis chapters 6 through 8 and the story of the flood. So if you're reading along, be sure to read Genesis 6, 7, and 8 before next week. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you kindly subscribe and rate us on whatever podcast app you use. And tell your friends about us. Maybe you know somebody who's thinking about reading the Bible for the first time. It really helps our content get out to others, so we'd really appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. We will see you next week.